things to the personality. It causes you to lie about who you know sometimes. Take it plain. There are some people who are influence peddlers. And in that attempt to deal with the drum major instinct, they have to try to identify with the so-called big name people. And if you're not careful, they will make you think they know somebody that they don't really know. They know them well, they sip tea with them, and they are this and that. that. That happens to people. And the other thing is that it causes one to engage ultimately in activities that are merely used to get attention. Criminologists tell us that some people are driven to crime because of this drum uh, major instinct. They don't feel that they're getting enough attention through the normal channels of social behavior. And so they turn to anti-social behavior in order to get attention, in order to feel important. So they get that gun, and before they know it, they rob the bank in a quest for recognition, in a quest for importance. And then the final great tragedy of the distorted personality is the fact that when one fails to harness this instinct, he ends up trying to push others down in order to push himself up. And whenever you do that, you engage in some of the most vicious activities. You will spread evil, vicious, lying gossip on people because you are trying to pull them down in order to push yourself up. The great issue of life is to harness the drum major instinct. Now the other problem is, when you don't harness the drum major instinct, this uncontrolled aspect of it is that it leads to snobbish exclusivism. It leads to snobbish exclusivism. Now you know, this is the danger of social clubs and Fraternities, I'm in a fraternity, I'm in two or three. For sororities and all of these, I'm not talking against them, I'm saying it's the danger. The danger is that they can become forces of classism and exclusivism, where somehow you get a degree of satisfaction because you are in something exclusive, and that's fulfilling something, you know. That I'm in this fraternity, and it's the best fraternity in the world, and, and everybody can't get in this fraternity. So it ends up, you know, a very exclusive kind of thing. And you know, that, that can happen with the church. I know churches get in that bind sometimes. I've been to churches, you know, and they, they say, you, uh, we have uh, so many doctors and so many school teachers and so many lawyers and uh, so many businessmen in our church. And, and that's fine because doctors need to go to church and lawyers and businessmen, teachers, they ought to be in church. But they say that, even the preacher sometimes will go all through that. They say that as if the other people don't count. The church is the one place where the doctor ought to forget that he's a doctor. The church is the one place where the Ph.D. ought to forget 
that he's a Ph.D. The church is the one place that the school teacher ought to forget the degree she has behind her name. The church is the one place where the lawyer ought to forget that he's a lawyer. And any church that violates the whosoever will let him come doctrine is a dead cold church and nothing but a little social club with a thin veneer of religiosity. When the church is true to its nature, it says, whosoever will, let him come. It does not suppose to satisfy the perverted uses of the drum major instinct. It's the one place where everybody should be the same, standing before a common master and savior. And a recognition grows out of this that all men are brothers because they're children of a common father. The drum major instinct can lead to exclusivism in one's thinking and can lead one to feel that because he has some training, he's a little better than that person who doesn't have it. Or because he has some economic security, that he's a little better than that person who doesn't have it. That's the uncontrolled, perverted use of the drum major instinct. Now, the other thing is that it leads to tragic, we've seen it happen so often, tragic race prejudice. This recording is briefly interrupted at this point. We see with our own eyes, in fact, not too long ago, a man down in Mississippi said that God was a charter member of the White Citizens Council. And so, God being the charter member means that everybody who's in that has a a kind of divinity, a kind of superiority. Think of what has happened in historism as a result of this perverted use of the drum major instinct. Led to the most tragic prejudice, the most tragic expressions of man's inhumanity to man. The other day I was saying, I always try to do a little converting when I'm in jail. And when we were in jail in Birmingham the other day, the white wardens and all enjoyed coming around the cell to talk about the race problem. And they were showing us where we were so wrong demonstrating. And and, uh, they were showing us where uh, segregation was so right. And uh, they were showing us where uh, intermarriage was so wrong. So I would get to preaching and we would get to talking calmly because they wanted to talk about it. And then we got down one day to the point, that was the second or third day, to talk about uh, where they lived and how much they were earning. And when those brothers told me what they were earning, I said, now you know what? You ought to be marching with us. You, you're just as poor as Negro. And I said, you are put in the position of supporting your oppressor. Because through prejudice and blindness, you fail to see that the same forces that oppress Negroes in American society oppress poor white people. And all you are living on 
is the satisfaction of your skin being white and the drum major instinct of thinking that you are somebody big because you're white and you're so poor you can't send your children to school. You ought to be out here marching with every one of us every time we have a march. Now that's a fact. The poor white has been put into this position where through blindness and prejudice he is forced to support his oppressors. And the only thing he has going for him is the false feeling that he's superior because his skin is white and can hardly eat and make his ends meet week in and week out. Now, not only does it stop, and not only does this thing go into the racial struggle, it goes into the struggle between nations. And I would submit to you this morning that what is wrong in the world today is that the nations of the world are engaged in a bitter, colossal contest for supremacy. And if some doesn't happen to stop this trend, I'm sorely afraid that we won't be here to talk about Jesus Christ and about God and about brotherhood too many more years. If somebody doesn't bring an end to this suicidal thrust that we see in the world today, None of us are going to be around because somebody's going to make the mistake through our senseless blundering of dropping a nuclear bomb somewhere and then another one is going to drop and don't let anybody fool you. This can happen within a matter of seconds. They have 20 megaton bombs in Russia right now that can destroy a city as big as New York in three seconds with everybody wiped away in every building. And we can do the same thing to Russia and China. But this is why we are drifting. And we are drifting there. Because nations are caught up with the drum major instinct. I must be first. I must be supreme. Our nation must rule the world. And I am sad to say that the nation in which we live is the supreme culprit. And I'm going to continue to say it to America. Because I love this country too much to see the drift that it has taken. God didn't call America to do what she's doing in the world now. God didn't call America to engage in a senseless, unjust war as the war in Vietnam. And we are criminals in that war. We've committed more war crimes almost than any nation in the world. And I'm going to continue to say it. And we won't stop it because of our pride and our arrogance as a nation. But God has a way of even putting nations in their place. Yes. The God that I worship has a way of saying, don't play with me. He has a way of saying, as the God of the Old Testament used to say, the Hebrews, don't play with me, Israel. Don't play with me, Babylon. Yes. Be still and know that I'm God. If you don't stop your reckless course, I'll rise up and break the backbone of your power. Yes. And that can happen to America. Yes. Every now and then I go back and read Gibbon's decline and fall of the Roman Empire. And when I come and look at America, I say to myself, the parallels are frightening. We have perverted the drum major in uh, instinct. But let me rush on my conclusion because I want you to see what Jesus was really saying. 
What was the answer that Jesus gave these men? It's very interesting. One would have thought that Jesus would have condemned them. One would have thought that Jesus would have said, you are out of your place, you are selfish. Why would you raise such a question? That isn't what Jesus did. He did something altogether different. He, he said in substance, all I see, you want to be first, you want to be great, you want to be important, you want to be significant. Well, you ought to be. If you're going to be my disciple, you must be. But he reordered priorities. And he said, yes, don't give up this instinct. It's a good instinct if you use it right. Yes. It's a good instinct if you don't distort it and pervert it. Don't give it up. Keep feeling the need for being important. Keep feeling the need for being first. But I want you to be first in love. I want you to be first in moral excellence. I want you to be first in generosity. That is what I want you to do. And he transformed the situation by giving a new definition of greatness. And you know how he said it? He said, now, brethren, I can't give you greatness. And really, I can't make you first. This is what Jesus said to James and John. You must earn it. True greatness comes not by favoritism, but by fitness. And the right hand and the left are not mine to give. They belong to those who are prepared. Yes. And so Jesus gave us a new norm of greatness. If you want to be important, wonderful. If you want to be recognized, wonderful. If you want to be great, wonderful. But recognize that he who is greatest among you shall be your servant. That's a new definition of greatness. This morning, the thing that I like about it, by giving that definition of greatness, it means that everybody can be great because everybody can serve. You don't have to have a college degree to serve. You don't, know, you don't have to make your subject and your verb agree to serve. You don't have to know about Plato and Aristotle to serve. You don't have to know Einstein's theory of relativity to serve. You don't have to 